0: Finally, the kids said, "Listen, uh, why don't you believe in us? Let's go play the best in the country. What are we doing?" You know, and that's mm-hmm. actually what changed everything. And those kids were mostly 2007 grads. And if we want to go through who they were, they were all kids who set records and left their mark on their universities. Every one of them, mm-hmm. or almost every one of them. So that was a really, you know, you know that again, it's about the players. That was a group that was special
1: if you want more power better vision and a bulletproof mindset then i would like to welcome you to cg plus complete games online player development center now baseball and softball players of all ages and skill levels can access a multimedia experience providing education and instruction on your personal mobile platform Rob Cruz has put together an online video portal, a remote hitting program, as well as a series of online hitting courses boasting a curriculum that features pitch recognition strategies, power, video analysis, mental skills, and then some. For more info, log on to www.cg.plus. That's www.cg.plus to find out how you can complete your game today.
2: Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? This is Transcending Sport. I'm your host, Rob Cruz. My guest is Kevin Shelton. He is the leader of the glory of the Texas glory out of McKinney, Texas. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi.
0: Hi, Rob. Uh, appreciate you having me on. It's a pleasure to
2: be here. Glad you're here. So let's chat. I, I mean, I've been, you know, it's funny because I ran into you a couple of years ago down and I was able to come and see the the new facility in McKinney. It was beautiful. And then I got a chance to watch you play this past summer at the Triple Crown Nationals. Got a chance to watch the team play. And, um, uh uh-huh. In the back of my mind, I was like, you know what, I I, I, I got to catch up. I got to catch up with him because there's so many things that I know you, that are in your mind. You're one of the great minds of the game. And I, I said, I got to get you on the podcast, maybe chit chat, just to share with my listeners who don't get a chance to hear from people like yourself all the time. Um, I, th- I thought it would be a really good treat. So this is really, uh, I really appreciate you being on. Well, it's uh, certainly an honor for me.
0: I appreciate even being thought of. And you know, we have lots of great help in the organization and, you know, experience as the best teacher, which means I've failed a lot and I've got lots of experience.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, I wanted you to, if you could, just kind of walk us, take us down memory lane, how you got started, how you got involved in softball. Um, and if you want to go further back than that, like, you know, your background in, in playing sports, coaching sports, other than softball, if there are any. Um. We like we like to get a little snapshot of, of your past.
0: Yeah, my I don't. Uh, as a youngster, I played baseball only till I was about twelve years old, and so I didn't have a lot of baseball experience. I played football, ran track. Um, I was a you know a slightly above average athlete in high school, but nothing special. Um, and uh, ended up. You know, in the Navy and married with uh, young daughters. And like most of us who get into fast pitch, I got into it because of my daughters. So Mm -hmm. uh, the good news, got lucky early on Navy bases, because I was in a submariner for eight years. On Navy bases, all they had was baseball. So my daughters were forced to play baseball and to play with the boys. Mm -hmm. And that really was lucky for us, because we learned to throw properly early because we had a baseball in our hands not a uh, big softball that's too big for these little girls hands typically yeah and um, so and I learned I actually I really did teach them how to catch by bouncing tennis balls off their heads until they caught them uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that I'm sure I would go to jail these days for such a thing but I didn't I didn't know better and boy it didn't take long for them to learn how to catch right because no one likes the ball bouncing off your forehead mm-hmm. so um and i exaggerate a little but i made it pretty tough on them early and they learned to catch quickly so they learned to throw. so that's how i got involved with them at with ball and stick sports and then finally when i was out of the navy and um moved to mckinney in 97 where they were playing rec ball and it was pretty poor level of ball it was actually the first time i ever saw a fast pitch softball game was in uh spring of 1997. i didn't know the sport existed before that um and uh, my daughters were playing, and my oldest, who was 10 at the time, you know, was a decent uh, player. She could throw and catch, which was ahead of many of the other um, players anyway. After the championship game where we lost, uh, some guy, his name was Emilio, locally here, called and said, hey, saw your daughter, she got a hit off my kid, and she could throw and catch. You know, is she interested in playing select ball? I said, What is that? I never heard of that. I had no idea what that even meant. I really didn't mm-hmm. and he explained it to me and I said, Okay, great, we'll come out and take a look. I tried to you know, I told my daughter we're gonna go check this out and she said, I don't want to And I said, Well, I don't care. You know, if we don't like it we can walk away, but we're going. Mm-hmm. Well well, within seconds she fell in love because everyone there could throw and catch. And so it was a completely different level of experience for her, one that was a lot more fun. And she, I think she saw what the game could be, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to, you know, struggling. She can't throw to her teammates because they couldn't catch the ball. Mm-hmm. So that changed everything. So I got involved right then, thinking, oh, I can coach this, and I know what I'm doing. You know, I played baseball till I was 12. I know what's up. <laughs> uh, right? So pretty funny. Um But there wasn't, in that environment, there wasn't a lot of fundamental instruction. There was a lot of team and game management, but not a lot of just basic fundamental instruction. So I figured that was a place where I could have a positive impact. So I helped with practices, and when we went to tournaments, I realized pretty quickly I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea how to manage a team or manage a tournament or even a game for that matter. Mm -hmm. So I just said, okay, I just need to sit in here in the dugout and pay attention and watch what's going on. you know, learn from what I'm seeing even though it was a pretty low level of ball but a couple of years later I had my own team and you know I just got serious about it, started studying, reading evaluating, there wasn't much internet back then so you couldn't really YouTube things or anything like that not that you, not that I want to encourage anyone to be a YouTube coach but um, you know I just started reading and finding VHS tapes so I remember I found a, a VHS, VHS VHS tape from Missouri. I can't remember the name of the coach. Everyone would know him. He ended up at Mississippi State. But anyway, so just started studying when I could and then, you know, coached my own team. And then in May of 2000, we started Texas Glory and we had 18 rec players and we started playing and the first weekend at ten U we lost four of the players because the parents were like, Man, we didn't know we had just been the whole weekend out here. We're not up for that. And so we quickly got down to fourteen. You know, we were oh three and one. I remember in our first tournament, you know, we tied a pool game and then we're bounced after two. You know, uh, it didn't take long for us to start to do okay. Uh, and then we ran and you know, a pitcher found us and that changed everything. I remember our first practices though. In the summer of 2000, we spent the first practices on a knee, going mm-hmm. and uh, hitting off the tee, hitting off the tee. We just didn't. We were that. We were that challenged fundamentally, you know. But we made great progress very quickly, and that's how it started. And then, you know, we added teams and just got out of hand. Yeah. You know, from there.
2: And that's good. So, and how'd you end up? So, the, so with where would your daughters end up playing college softball? Or did they so play? My
0: oldest. yeah my oldest went to SFA and then tore a bicep tendon and so she her sophomore year was her last year Um, and then my second oldest played uh, college uh, volleyball juco college volleyball she's probably 5 foot 5 and Mm -hmm. then I had another daughter who played juco volleyball and then my youngest daughter played uh, at Baylor played center field at Baylor and got to go to the world series in 2011 that was a Real blast. So, you know, you can see it took us a while to figure out what we were
2: doing. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Finally figured it out. And and my, to be fair, my youngest daughter was the most competitive and the best athlete of the bunch. In the end, it's always about the players. It's
2: yeah, always about the players. It sure is. Yeah. Okay, so now you got Texas Glory, whom you are the leader of. And you know, it's funny. I went on just to try to check out the website, and I looked at. <laughs> I was going to try to count how many teams were actually a pick. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, I'm not, there's, too many te- there's too many teams. I can't even count yeah, that high. Count
0: them. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I have a back-end system. I can, I can, that math is done for me. So we are right at 100.
2: 100, um, 100 teams nationally. Yeah.
0: Yes. So we go from South Carolina to Southern California, from Michigan to Corpus Christi, Texas. So we're, you know, we're in. I think 15 states. I haven't done a count, but Colorado, California, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan. Um, I don't want to repeat me, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, um, Louisiana, uh, Illinois. I think I may have gotten all of them. I think. But anyway, so around 15 states.
2: And that's that's really cool. So so the so the branding of that. I mean, that it's incredible to be able to have a a brand that expands across the country. Um, it just it just brings something something about Texas anyway, and I, I want to get into the Texas culture because um, you know the Texas culture is a lot different, and the way the game is played in Texas is a little bit different than what I get to see as, as I go around from state to state. And I want to I want to get into that with you as well, but sure. um, but I want to talk to you about how you ended up with glory and becoming the glory and becoming the national brand. That, how that what was that process like? How how did it happen? Was it like one instance where it just like happened and then took off or it was this something that happened slowly over time with the national part of it or or what
0: well it did happen you know kind of organically right we had um we started with those teams in 2000 2001 things went our way and we started to win locally it was actually a time where we won, uh, one of our i think it was a 12 u team where we didn't lose a game for over six months and that was terrible that was the worst thing that could ever have happened to us <laughs> You know, because it created these unrealistic expectations, yep. which you know you've got to manage. And again, it was a good lesson to learn. Um, but in two thousand and three, uh, and this wasn't my doing, but in two thousand three, uh, you know, we were able to gather up some of the best players in the area. You know, um, by kind of hook or crook, if you will, mm-hmm. and which included pitching, uh, and so that 2003 team was our first team that, so in 2002, uh, two, we actually won the 10U AFA National Tournament and the 12U AFA National Tournament. AFA, not SA, AFA, they were both, one was in Tulsa, I can't remember where the other was, and mm-hmm. we thought that was a big deal, mm-hmm. right? We thought we were national champs, which, you know, looking back, very silly for us to think, but we didn't know, and we were excited about our progress, And but we didn't know how much bigger the world was out there, and we were frankly scared to attack it. Um, and so in 2003, we had a really great group, and the debate became, what level of nationals should we play? Should we go attack, go face the best teams in the country or not? And finally, the kids, Said, listen uh, why don't you believe in us let's go play the best in the country what are we doing you know and that's mm-hmm. actually what changed everything and those kids were mostly 2007 grads and if we want to go through who they were they were all kids who set records and left their mark on their universities every mm-hmm. one of them mm-hmm. or almost every one of them so that was a really you know, you know that again it's about the players that was a group that was special and it was mm-hmm. the one that put us on the map so in that season they went to Colorado and um, double-dipped the Virginia the, the Vienna Stars in mm-hmm. the Colorado fireworks in 2003 and won that tournament and the picture they had there gosh I can remember her name she went to Arizona State to throw um, and played there for a couple, you know, for a uh, college experience. Anyway, so that was our first kind of, hey, we can do this. And then that same team went to ASA Nationals, back when ASA was the only Nationals, right? Went to, you know, a real one, went to ASA Nationals and finished ninth, and really got to see what it looked like. And at that point, we realized we could compete with the best in the country and we no longer were worried about that we then were just saying okay how do we make sure we get to go see the best in the country as often as possible
2: right
0: and we had a blue collar group that was a real challenge money was a challenge but they were a special group they could compete with anyone and they certainly when they stepped on the field expected to win you know
2: i, rem- uh, I remember that team because yeah. you, you took them to see new jersey one year
0: Yes, that's right. And that's we, right. That's probably where we met.
2: That's where probably. we met. That's exactly where we met. Yeah. It was you, me, you, and Tim Walton. Right.
0: Yeah. At,
2: at the restaurant for like about five hours.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a good time. That was. Yeah, that but that was great. Is, that's an Important, important mm-hmm. part of how we were able to mm-hmm. to make progress was that we had a lot of college coaches who really. Uh, reached out to us, to different term directors, and, and said, hey, these, these guys are pretty legit. You know, I remember mm-hmm. Coach Walton was one of those, mm-hmm. Coach Evans, you know, at A&M, mm-hmm. uh, Connie Clark did, um, Coach Moore was a big helper for us back then. You know, because that team had players who, who went to Florida, went to uh, Baylor, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, Mm-hmm. That was a really quality bunch that we had. Uh, so, Coach Murphy was a big help back then. So, just helping us figure out the lay of the land and what was going on. Mm-hmm. So, in o- o- 05, in o- 05, we finished, or no, in o- 04, we finished, I think, 13th at 16 UASA, and then in o- five, uh, o- 05, we were 7th. And I remember, you know, that we could have done better if I'd have done a better job coaching third base in 05, for sure. Um, in 06, we finished, uh, we went to Gold Nationals for the first time. We qualified right out of the gate went against the best teams down in Houston. You know, uh, back when everyone had to qualify all the time and it was very, we were surprised, but pleased that we were able to. And I think we surprised a lot of people when we qualified right away in 06. And we probably opened 06 Gold Nationals Against the Batbusters, the Orange County Batbusters, and Gary Hanning, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember Mike. Mike was on that staff. Mike Smith yeah. was on that staff, and um, you know, what was interesting was that year when we went to gold Nationals, we had faced three out of the sixty-four teams that were in the tournament when we got there. That is, we were not playing at the right level all the time, mm-hmm. right? We were playing against teams that didn't belong at gold Nationals, and so we. De facto, we well, may have been good enough, but we didn't have the level of experience to right. play there. One of the things we realized after that Nationals was every weekend we played, we typically win some 18 under event locally or something, but we would only have one game each weekend or two that were emotionally difficult, that were challenging. Yes, you know that we didn't, that we weren't 100 percent sure we we're going to win when we stepped on the field. So when you get to the high level when you're playing Golden Nationals or against the best teams like in Champions Cup or in Colorado at a high level, you've got every one of those games is like that. Yeah. So that's a different level of experience and different level of uh, focus and intention that you've gotta have and that's a learned experience as well. You don't just you know, know how to do that. You have to learn how to do that and learn how to manage that. So in 07 I set out to make sure we got to play at a high level a lot more, which is that fall of 07 was where we went to Team New Jersey, probably where I met you guys, and then we went back in the spring and we went to Colorado and Champions Cup before going to Gold Nationals in 07, and when we got to Gold Nationals in 07, we were there and we had faced 25 of the 64 teams. that was our kind of our transition to understanding what it took to compete at the highest level. And um you know, that's that that was kinda how, you know, how we realized you know, we could play there, did belong there and what what it would take to stay there. That was mm-hmm. the real challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so long winded way answering that question, Yeah, I think.
2: So so now you you got this, this, this brand that you know, in Texas and by the way, Texas has had so many great teams and great organizations. Um, but Texas, Texas is such a big state That You know you had teams I mean I, we, we can go down the list of the great teams That came oh, out of yeah. Texas yeah. But now you've, you've, you've gotten to the point Where you've, you've, you've carved out a, You know uh, Made a name for the glory uh, They're on the map so to speak And more people want to become involved is, is that how it went? And, and they contacted you and said, "Hey, we'd like to be we'd like we'd like to wear the, the the glory jersey. We'd like to bring a team over, right. or we like to." Is that how it happened? No, oh, that
0: is that is how it happened. So in 07, a little more backstory, if that mm-hmm. they allow me. In, in 07, we kind of reorganized ourselves because our 07 class graduated, and I realized, and my youngest daughter was a 09 graduate, and so we had to kind of rebuild. The good news is we had a couple of pitchers. You know Whitney canyon, tommy garrison, who mm-hmm. who could attract other quality players, but it's not something we had ever considered before. And at that time, we probably still only had you know ten, twelve teams locally mm-hmm. in DFW. So you know at the end of seven we reorganized and created Ed and Nadine moved to Dallas. He had just won the fourteen under ASA national tournament, and that was the second championship. He would won ten you years before, when he moved to Dallas, he said, hey, I'll be your 600 guy forever. That was a really pivotal moment for us. That was a a moment that changed our organization. And when he did that, then we realized we could build this pipeline. And so then we began to create uh, teams underneath that would fill the pipeline so we could begin training, you know, training at a younger age. And I wouldn't have to try to re-recruit every year to start over because that was not my strength. Mm 'Cause I think when you tell people the truth, that's not a great way to recruit them. They wanna hear, you know, promises or <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, guarantees and that's just not how we do business. So I so mean you know, I'd rather not I'd rather not promise people things except an opportunity to compete for a spot. That's my promise.
2: Right. So So,
0: the, so you know, yeah, then and yeah. so it was not until two thousand the fall of two thousand sixteen that we extended our brand beyond D F W. And there were three things that forced that issue. One, we needed scale to, for the new facility. We needed scale um, so that I, we could turn it into more of a business enterprise. And we needed scale, most importantly, to fight back the impact goals, the firecrackers, the bombers, the blazes, who now were um, warping us in our own market. I looked up and there were more of these other brands in Dallas than us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the future was clear. We were going to get squeezed out. Mm-hmm. And so when we decided then that we would extend the brand to the appropriate to appropriate people in whatever location they wanted, then we started to grow. And we quickly went from, you know, 20 teams locally to 30 teams to 50 teams, you know. Uh, and so in a little under three years, we've made it to, or a little over three years, made it to 100. And I think we'll slowly grow, you know, continue
2: slowly grow that's that's great that's great so now we have this model and that's based on development wow. right yes. <laughs> so yeah. so that's the plan I mean, it is i mean i i, I you know I, I can i can vouch for that and and i think the, in terms of people who have had long runs because there have been a lot of i wouldn't call them dynasties but there have been a lot of people who have had pretty good runs but I think sure. when, I think when it's not based on on development those runs get caught, they, they get cut short right and um, the people who have had the longevity you know that there's there seems to be a, a, a specific uh, way to do it and it has to be based on the fundamentals and development of talent and w- so what are some of the things that you've've you've separated yourself in the state of Texas and and, and, and nationally? um developmentally in terms of just core values uh, work ethic and, and um, the type of parents you recruit um that has, that has that has contributed to the success and the longevity of the program
0: yeah so as i think all those things are very accurate that's exactly how we approach it and most importantly you know as people before the drivers isn't you know about you know kevin it's about the people that we have that buy-in and help yes and what they understand, and we and we end up attracting like folks and people who are not like us tend to not stay very long. And the primary focus is team. Like If people cannot buy into the idea that it is about the whole and not the individual, they don't survive very long in our environment. They get very unhappy very quickly. Mm-hmm and you know it's a tricky balance right because this whole recruiting thing is very individual but we've also learned that if you do that in the context of team everyone fares better yes and you still ultimately find the best fit so it you know you then have to manage this idea of team and the whole and what's best for the entire squad and the club with individual development Right, because right, every right. kid is a little right. bit different, every kid needs different training, but we, and I, we we often will, well, I will take my 18U staff and go practice with a different team, right, with a good different 18U team in our area, or 16U team, or 14U team, or 12U team, and I'll focus, they're always surprised that our focus is always the basics, just it's never this tricky or fancy stuff, right? We just mm-hmm. talk about, alpha, do the alphabet. If you can do the alphabet, now we'll work on words. If we can work on words, then we'll create some sentences, then we'll write some prose, then we'll create some beautiful poetry. Okay. But you gotta do one step at a time. If you can't do that, let's start back over, right? I, I recently went to a 16 practice and they were hitting ground balls, throwing and catching, and they were marking at them to do a better job uh, you know, with their throws and I was watching them and I was like, gosh, we're doing everything wrong here. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. let's back up, let's back up. And I said, listen, if you you have to explain to them exactly what you're looking for and show them what that looks like and then work on that thing only and don't relent until they can do it. Well, then we can move on to something else. And this is a good case. i was just talking to them about making accurate throws. And the kids are very capable of making accurate throws. They didn't understand what that meant, specifically what we were asking them to do, mm-hmm. right? People, instead of saying, make a better throw, you know, be specific about how they do that, what that looks like, and show them, and then work on it. You can see it improve, and then they can then coach themselves. Yes, that was not an accurate throw, and I know why, because I didn't hit the exact target I was aiming at. And a ton of that is just... Uh, um, the words you use, the mindset you create, you know, mm. for example, I would say you know, this is silly, but I would say, okay, what are you throwing to? And they would say, to a target. And I would say, well, that's not good enough. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, that's not specific enough. We need higher high level of specificity. Everything you should do should have a high level of specificity, and that's not specific enough. Right? Mm. Let's throw to an exact target. Right? And it's just a different mindset. Target, exact target. Because right? it's the same thing but it's a different way of thinking about it, right? And so I would explain to them what I meant by that and how that's, you know, every throw they make, that's what they should be focused on. Just one example, right? And, you know, the things that frustrate me about throws and, you know, 6 and 12 spin on the ball, making sure they understood that. Just, you know, again, 101. But I think a lot of times, especially as the kids are older, you know, if we haven't already... Gotten through those details, we skip them and we don't help them understand, you know, the specificity and the level of accuracy and um, detail that they need to deal with. I think a lot of times we just don't explain to them exactly what it is we want them to do. So, of course, they don't do it because we haven't shown them what we want them to do. Mm. So, you know, that's the again, and we try to do the same thing on fielding you know we have organizational activities where we work on you know fielding and throwing and all those things just like most of them i'm sure these big clubs do you know but the but all the you know all the coaches who are leading these groups understand the level of specificity and just keep it simple right because if you can if you can throw and catch right at a high level you now have a chance to compete at a high level, it really isn't a ton trickier than that, right? Obviously, you get pitcher, but if you can, you know, catch the ball and make throws that are on target most of the time, you're going to get a lot of routine outs, you That's know, true. which
2: is and, and which brings me to my game. which brings me to my next point. It's great yeah. segue, great segue. So now, what I've noticed as I travel the country and work, you know, with different organizations and and you know, bring what I do to them. I, I'm noticing a pattern whether I'm at a camp I could be at the Auburn camp the LSU camp um uh-huh. more most recently we had the fast of the first camp and uh-huh. when I get the Texas kids there's something different about the Texas kids and I want to talk to you about that I'm gonna I want to find out if you see the same thing so first of all I think if, if there's a hundred players in a camp in Texas I'm gonna have about 30 left-handed batters <sighs> And I'm going to have about, not yeah, really. And I'm going to have about 30, 28 of the 30 of them are going to be either they slap also,
0: uh-huh.
2: um, you know, or whatever they do. Right. But, but, sure. but there's so many lefty hitters and there's so many hitters that understand the importance of the short game in Texas than any other state, I believe. That's one. Two, because of that, the infielders in Texas are so much faster in terms of their speed of play than all the other players all the other places i go because they have to defend a lot of left-handed batters and why it, huh. did you do you, i mean i don't know if you if you noticed that but
0: <laughs> well well i do notice that so i don't want to claim texas is
2: and and that's fine know, better, i'm i'm not better saying better i'm not i'm, that, I'm saying but it's yeah. just it's just so many more lefties and this is just from my own personal travels what i see with my eyes sure there's sure. so many more lefties. There's so many more slappers, and I think because of that, the infielders are so much faster because they have to be, with some with so many yeah. lefties that you have to yeah. that you have to go up against. And I think, I, and I think that that plays a, a part in how the game is played in the state.
0: I would say there's no question that we like to play. I like balance, right? We want balance of speed and power. Yeah. But for clarity, I have six grandkids and seven grandkids. And I think all of, all of my kids have bought in to the fact that we should only bat from the left. Like if I had my brothers, I would never have another I would never have another right-handed hitter on my team ever.
1: Yeah. Right,
0: which is obviously silly. I'm exaggerating, but right. But it doesn't. It never makes sense to start someone on the right ever. It just for softball, it doesn't make sense. There's yeah. no reason to ever start hitting on the right side of the plate. If you're starting a kid from scratch just start them on the left they don't know the difference they'll be fine right. and now that now it automatically gives you if they turn out to be a, a triple threat person great right if not they'll still be powerful from the left which is still a better situation than being on the right mm-hmm. um, so i actually and we do you know we do have the advantage of uh you know a lot of fast kids we play out you know we're outside more than if you're not in the south and it does create, uh, you know, a defense that understands you've got to get a handle and manage the short game, which hopefully gets us, our infielders, to understand, you know, the importance of getting the, get rid of the ball quickly, staying in position to get rid of the ball quickly and accurately, you know, which then lends itself to, you know, you look a lot more like high-level ball players because you have to, Play at a high level, or you're never going to be able to compete. You know, if you're, if you're, and you can't play a ton. It's an interesting thing too. Our younger kids can play a lot deeper than our older kids. And when I get the, when I get the infielders, uh, you know, I just have to bring them in a little bit closer because the speed of the game continues to pick up. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you, you know, if you're deep against our lefties or even our righties, in a lot of cases, you know, that you just can't. You know, you just can't throw them out if they're, you know, if they roll the ball to shortstop and you're really deep, you just can't throw them out. So it's a that's a constant challenge when I get them is to move them up just a little bit, you know, because they, they want to play deep because at a younger age they can do that. It gives them more range and, you know, that's down on those singles. Mm-hmm. But,
2: so yeah. w- what has changed uh, in, the, in the short game on the offensive side and the short game on the defensive side that you've noticed the biggest change you've seen? or 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 how has it evolved uh over the years what are some of the biggest changes that it, you've seen
0: yeah it definitely it's evolved we didn't really understand the short game uh you know until probably you'll know, say for me specifically for Texas Glory and kevin probably till 06 07 and we started to really understand that and started to employ it mm-hmm. um and then i realized i mean we've had years where you know, we've had, I mean, I have three slappers in the 2017 class, Lee Bogar, who leads off at uh, Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, Taryn Antoine, who's on the LSU, typically maybe bats eight or nine hole, and then Brittany Jackson, who leads off at Kansas. At one point, we had all three of those kids on the same team and so so depending on depending on this situation we would I remember one time we played uh, Iowa Premier and I looked up and they looked a little they were more like you would expect right big strong kids Mm -hmm. who could swing it but I thought "Mm, maybe they're not as athletic on the corners you know At that, and this was years ago but Mm -hmm. at that time and so I just instead of a traditional lineup I just put those kids one, two, three at the top of the order and said okay let's just this was deep in PGF loser's bracket. I said, let's just see what happens here. And we scored three in the first inning because those kids were just, I mean, they just were unstoppable mm-hmm. if you weren't ready to deal with their speed. It creates havoc and just makes things difficult. You know, so uh, I love having balance, right? I mean, we need kids who can, we need hammers, we need screwdrivers, we need wrenches. You just have to have the right tool for the right job, mm-hmm. you know? And I just think slapping is misunderstood. It's poorly taught. Um, You do need to be ultimately very fast if you want to do it at a high level. But if you can incorporate it into your game, even if you're not super fast, you can create really difficult situations for the defense. And The defense ultimately has to give you something. And, you know, if you can take advantage of what they give you, you can make things very difficult on them. And, you know, so for me, that... You know, I don't, people sometimes freak out because they have runners second and third and a slapper comes up, and I love that. I don't have any problem, right? Some people, oh, you need someone to drive that runs in. No, I just need someone to put the ball on the ground and make a mess.
2: Right. right?
0: <laughs> if you can drive them in, great. If you can just get it on the ground, and the defense has to do something. Yeah. Right? And it creates all kinds of havoc, and I just think people, you know, and I think the other thing that's happened, you ask about the evolution, what's happened is, call at the highest level in college defenses are very good pitchers are very good and so slapping is even harder right there's still lots of places where you have slappers ucla arizona florida this year i incorporated a bunch of slappers before the season got cut short so if you're a great athlete you can do that even at the highest level but you can't do it if you're not great at the highest level and so what happens is people see world series games where there's 17 runs and so they think slapping is dead or they change the rules and say you're you're out of the box but listen our kids who make it to college don't get called out of the box for slapping you know while they're slapping because we teach them the right way Mm -hmm. so they don't they run they don't run across home plate so they don't get called out of the box for you know being out of the box because they're not Mm -hmm. so it's not dead and there's a place for it and college is different from the game that i play we play right we we can attack a lot differently than you can if you're playing at Oklahoma, right? If you're deep in the World Series and you're Oklahoma's playing UCLA, that's a different set of athletes on the field than most games, right? I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, most, you know, it's not the world most people live in. So you have to build yourself for, you know, and I know how, you know, we know how to build ourselves to attack the teams we play and that's to have balance speed and power, the combination of the two work well to create havoc and so the evolution also has been uh, baseball impacts how we do business and so baseball's analytics which is not different than our analytics but what happens is people think somehow only hitting home runs is the way to play and that then lends itself to people saying hey we shouldn't be slapping because we really want to drive the ball out of the yard. Well. I tell people all the time, that's interesting, but here's the data, in 2000, you know, this is rough, but it's it's real, in 2016, uh, and we play a lot of games at PGF Nationals, because we don't usually go out to and out, we have, but we don't usually do, so in 2016, we allowed one home run and gave up one home run at PGF Nationals, in 2017, we gave up one home run, allowed one home run. In 2018, we gave up one home run, allowed... Or I'm saying that wrong. We hit one and allowed one in every one of those situations. Mm-hmm. In 2019, we hit one and didn't allow one. So, you know, no one would say we have the best pitchers on the planet. We have good pitchers, and they've done well, but we don't have, like, you know, paremas and stuff like that. I don't have, the, you know, the best pitchers. So for the last four years, we have only allowed one home run except 19 we didn't allow any and, and we've only hit one with some really great hitters so hitting home runs isn't the way we beat teams that are very good mm-hmm. is my point and mm-hmm. so you know if we're playing teams that aren't very good we'll hit a lot of home runs there's no question I mean we've had in 2019 we had times where we hit four home runs in the first inning multiple games that mm-hmm. I remember which is bizarre right that doesn't that's crazy <laughs> but but it, it isn't about but we don't win a big games against the best teams necessarily by hitting home runs if that is not our focus is only driving the ball out of the yard because if that was it we would not win a lot of games
2: that's right.
0: but the idea the evolution of the short game and the speed of the game has been impacted by baseball in that somehow the the parents think, or other coaches think, launching the ball for home runs is your best approach. And the best teams that we see in club ball, some, most have not bought into that idea. And even when I'm watching college ball, I, I see I see kids just trying to hit line drives, and mm-hmm. sometimes they carry out. Mm-hmm. Right? If you hit it back, you get a bad pitch, that's what we'll get. So we're not trying to hit the ball on the ground necessarily, if you're. You know, if you're not a slapper, we're trying to, you know, hit the ball hard.
2: Right, and right. Whatever
0: right. that, that works out, it works out. You know, slappers, on the other hand, we are trying to hit the ball on the ground. Yes. It's totally different. So, anyway, that's kind of the evolution. It's a, it's a constant push-pull, you know. In a club ball, you don't always get to choose your athletes. Uh, you always get to choose, If you know, if you don't have slappers around to choose, you don't get to use them. You know, but if you have that capability then you know we want that mix of power and speed i don't know if that
2: answered the question that is, i that, just went a tangent yeah but good uh, t- typical practice typical practice for you and your squad um does your squad come from like are they local or do you have kids that fly in for your team or have to have to drive great distances and if so how does that work work in terms of like your first and third plays your bunt defenses and things like that Where you need a full team in practice. (laughs) How much time do you spend in practice? How much of it is offense? How much of it is defense? And then so forth and so on.
0: So, really good question. And so, we never, we don't recruit outside of DFW because we have seven, seven and a half million people here. So, we don't Mm -hmm. need to go outside of our market to find players. That said, keep in mind, my squad is kind of. 40 players we split it to 20 and 20 when the summer starts but it's really 40 players so the numbers are a little bit expanded but anyway so we don't search for players outside of our market but i have two from louisiana two from arkansas three from oklahoma two from kansas on my squad right now so they come to us and if they're good and they're capable, we don't turn them away. Mm-hmm. You know, and our, 16, our best 16 on our team has the same thing. I mean, I have, and I think I have one New Mexico player on my squad. The 16 on our team's best pitchers come from New Mexico. He's got players from Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, Arkansas as well. So that's not uncommon. We don't search them out, but if they come to us and they're good enough to help our squad be better, we, we're certainly happy to have them now at... Uh, those kids come to practice. So we plan practice such that they can make it. And that typically happens on the weekends when it's, you know, when they're not playing high school ball. Um, and so they come to practice. So um, they're integrated in the team. And it's difficult to run a team where kids didn't have to come to practice. But most of the kids are dedicated and they'll make those long drives and, you know, they're committed. And so I would say we spend at 16U, they probably split their practices 50 50. Um, offense-defense. At 18U, we split our practices 90-10 offense-defense. I mean, 10 uh, 10. Sorry, the other way around, defense-offense. So we rarely practice a lot of offense at practice. So we will, we spend all, because we have so few practices, because we're so far apart, because high school ball keeps us from practicing, we will practice mostly defense. And, you know, we will talk about offense and work on it between games and Mm -hmm. if we get time in the cage you know sometimes in the spring kids will come to the cage during high school ball. so we can't we're not practicing We can't hurt them you know we'll talk about our approach our philosophy and just enhance what they do well right as well as you know try to show them different things to help them You know, understand what to do. And my focus when I'm working with hitters is just getting them to understand their own swing. What caused you know what what is the math and the physics behind the ball flight? You know, and what causes the ball to do what? And then how can they optimize their body to create the ball flight that they're looking for? Mm -hmm. So you know, slappers obviously ball flight different. (laughs) If you're alive here, a kid who can can't generate a ton of exit velocity, we don't want to put the ball up in the air a bunch because it's just going to be a pop-up, right? right? If you can generate a ton of exit velocity, well, that player can, you know, try to lift the ball a little bit more because they're going to hit it out of the yard when they square it up, right? So, you know, it depends on what they're good at, but they, I need them to be their best coach. So I've got to teach them to understand their own swing. And that's a lot like the defense that we were talking about earlier. There's a level of specificity that I don't think most hitters have that keep them from being their best coach. That is, all they're doing is standing there and wailing at the ball. They're just trying to hammer the ball. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's hitting at all. That's just hammering the ball, (laughs) right? And, and oh, by the way, the pitcher isn't going to let you do that, right? So, you know, you've got to better understand what you're doing and stay under control right generate a consistent swing and contact points and you can square the ball up on a regular basis drive the ball to all feet and that's going to give you the best chance to be successful you know over the long haul you know if if all we're trying to do is turn and spin and pull the ball hard to our power field we can do that you're just going to be limited i think so you know those are things we'll work on but in in, in game pra- or team practices we almost have to stay exclusively about defense. Now we'll we'll throw the slappers down there to create the opportunity for us to play defense against slappers and work on those defenses and the base running situation. So it gives us a chance to work on base running as well as the slappers, you know, but the offensive end, you know, the only way we get those kids live at bats is if we go into scrimmage mode and, you know, that doesn't happen that often.
2: That's interesting. So so, what we just, have,
0: we just have very few opportunities to practice. We probably average twelve practices a year at the ATU. Full level,
2: full team practices, model. full team. You mean I'm full sorry. team? You're talking about full team practices. Yes. And that's still yep. that's still a lot more than most teams, though. By the way.
0: It may be, yeah. Yeah, because it, 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 it gets hard
2: to do it when you're playing so much.
0: Well that's right. <laughs> yeah, high school keeps you from getting together, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so in those practices, you know, we have them left out, right? We have a Google Doc that we share between the coaches and say, okay, practice one, the ding every year looks a lot like this, modify for the kids, ready, to go. Practice two looks like this. Practice three looks like this. So it's not, you know, it's a pretty typical situation, right? We have to introduce nomenclature and, you know, our approach and just work on, the basics one at a time until we can get to the next thing and so on. So no different probably than any spring training or anyone working on developing a team and team chemistry and, you know, an approach to the game. You know, our kids know what our approach is, what our, you know, what our focus is. You know, they're not out there just playing ball. There is a specific focus, you know, on each play and each pitch that they understand.
2: Mm -hmm. So what what do you... (laughs) What do you think are the advantages? And, and well, have have you always had twenty player rosters? And if not, if no. what, what what's the right what are the what is the what's the bright side of it? Like I, in my mind, I know what I would say, but I'm curious to know what you would say. Is okay based on because we have a twenty player roster. Here's here's how that prepares us for how it prepares our kids for college, or here's how that what that does for us. You know, having some inter team competition. Um, what what are the things that you would say the, t- yeah, the, the so expanded roster
0: uh, yeah. does primarily to primarily what yeah. that mm-hmm. primarily what it does is it creates people ask us all the time why mm-hmm. have you guys been successful and I say of course the people's the first thing we've been successful because we've had great coaches and great parents and great players um, second is we create a competitive environment Mm -hmm. and that, you know, humans do not do well if they're complacent, right? They must be pushed. Humans must be pushed. And so, you know, when you have a lot of really good players on a team, one, you're going to have a better team, but two, those players will then up their game, Mm -hmm. right? And so (laughs) that's, so the the primary advantage to a big roster is you have, you create de facto a competitive environment and that is critical to continuing to raise our level too at our age there's so many other distractions injuries things that come up that if you start with a small roster you end up in a very bad situation very quickly and many you know anyone's it coasted along you know a high level for any length of time knows exactly what i'm talking about because yeah. you just run into those problems and so in the past, you know, in our early days, you know, we had smaller rosters, but we as we began to compete at the national level on a regular basis, we learned very quickly that, you know, as we looked at Corona Angels and uh, Bad Busters and uh, back the Hurricanes and you named the big, you know, SoCal, like you named the the quality club, you know, they, no very few, only Jerry Glasgow back in the day was rolling around with 11 players, right? <laughs> but, but everyone else everyone else had, you know, 16, 18 players, 20 players in their dugout, you know, because we you know, we weren't just blindly following them. We, You know, it made sense over time to make those adjustments. There's also been recruiting situations that made me realize that by having less players, we were actually limiting... Other players opportunities, and I did not want to do that. So, a bigger roster creates more opportunities for more kids, which that was important to us.
2: Mm-hmm. And then, you know what else? And I was funny. I was just talking about this the other day, and I knew I knew you were going to give me that answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I, but I was gonna I was saying, you know, you have a lot of kids who who play on, on who will only play on a travel team with thirteen or fourteen players, mm-hmm. right. and then when right. they get then when they get to college, and there's twenty four players on the team, right. They don't even know how to adjust to that. The parents don't right. know how to adjust, and neither do the players. But I think you prepare them better to have that yes. mentality of I have to compete for a spot and earn a spot because my spot is not every guaranteed. Day. It's not guaranteed yeah. on any given day. You know,
0: right. every day, and that's my point. Every day, you've got to earn a spot, right? And I, you know, we I've taken players out of you know our best players. I've taken them out of games and they're having bad days. Mm-hmm. You know, and they understood it wasn't. Mad at them or anything like that, but there's a kid on the bench who can go as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're not gonna, if you're not locked in today, let's give someone else a chance because I don't know which one of us in life gets to put our feet up and say, Okay, we've made it, we're good, job secure, all set. Is that right. how it works? Does, does
2: it happen not exactly, yep. you
0: know? So. This idea that we have to—I tell these—I kind of this is a stupid one. It's an old man kind of thing, but I tell these fifteen-year-olds: listen, you've got eighty-five more years of life, and in many cases, for these kids, they've got ninety-five more years of life. Right? They—they need to get comfortable with the idea that they're never going to be comfortable. That they've got to challenge and fight and work hard every day. Mm -hmm. That—that's a much happier place to be, right? That you know, instead of sweating. I could lose my job. Just go as hard as you can go, and whatever happens, happens, because there's mm. nothing else you can do So <laughs> right. be your, be your best. So I remember it was a young lady one time we were, who was trying out. and She didn't make it. And she was very precocious, and I liked her maturity. She just wasn't a good enough player. And at one point, as, as the discussion wound down, I was wishing her well and encouraging her to keep trying to, you know, reach her dream. She said, "Hey, keep an eye on me, because." Uh, you know, keep an eye on the your rearview mirror because I'm coming. And I I remember saying to her, I said, I love your energy, love your attitude. Keep plugging away, but understand, winners are not looking in the rearview mirror, <laughs> right? And that's and that's the message that I'm trying to tell all our guy. Just go as hard as you can go, and you don't need to worry about whether someone's running you down or not. Because if you're running as fast as you can run, and they run you down, there's nothing else you could have done anyway.
2: That's true. I, I do the same right? thing in business. I do the same thing.
0: It is the same. That's
2: a good one. That's one to grow on. Like <laughs> that's if one to grow on. <laughs>
0: if you can get them to buy in, mm-hmm. not easy because the rest of the world is not telling them that, right? The rest of the world's telling them something else. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to try to help them, you know. You, and again, it's it's easy to fall to the lowest common denominator instead of realizing I don't. I've got to go be me and be the best I can be, regardless of what everyone else is doing.
2: Easy to say, hard to do. You yeah, know. That's true. So we're getting I don't close. Some, that yeah, that, that was great. That was phenomenal. Man. And I'm, um, so it's, it's always good to just kind of sit back and just listen to somebody, just kind of just give you because people want to know how to be successful. You know, and 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 when you're talking to people um, and you're learning from them, and you can take little bits and pieces and little nuggets. Like I go back and listen to some old podcasts. And I'll hear something totally different when I hear it a second or third time. That I'm that I'm like, how did I miss that the first time I heard it? But sometimes, oh, when we're yeah. in a, a specific place in our lives, um, we hear things differently, you know, because we're different. So right. The, That's true. The sure fact enough. that the fact yeah. that you were able to share, you know, a little bit of, about, you know, your process and you know how how you do things um, can definitely, I'm sure, will inspire in, inspire some other coaches and some other players to kind of. They can kind of glean from what you're doing so i really appreciate you coming on today to the podcast and sharing a little bit with us um and my, i have an audience that's gonna be so happy about this podcast <laughs> they're gonna be so grateful that i was able to get you on and um hopefully it won't be the last time i get you on um and uh hopefully i'll, I'll run into you again um maybe over the summer or something if things shape things shape up you know hopefully we'll, we'll see yeah. each other
0: yeah Uh Well, certainly, certainly, my pleasure to be on, and I'm at your disposal. You know, I love talking softball. You know, the game is great. I Mm -hmm. hope we continue to grow the game. I appreciate your efforts to grow the game and talk about the game. I think the more of us that do that, the bigger the game gets, and the more fun it is.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, anything you want to say in closing? uh, You maybe want if anybody wanted to just drop you like a little note or go check out the website or something where could, where could, they, find, sure. where could yep. they find you on social or whatever and then also if you want to leave us with something that'd be great
0: uh yeah uh, again you can my email is kevin at texasglory.com because I'm not that smart so I keep it simple <laughs> our website our website is texasglory.com as well and our social media can all be found there I think some of our social media is Texas Glory fast pitch some of it is Glory, but you can find it on our website that's probably the easiest way to find it um, you know, and uh, the things I always leave, my, I leave uh, tell my kids when we leave for an extended period of time are always it's just the three same things. And that is, you know, every day I get up and try to figure out how you can try to leave the world a little better than you found it. Uh, you know, fail full speed. It's just means you need to give your maximum effort and make the routine routine. If we take care of those things, then we'll be in a, a good place and we'll likely have success.